Hi, I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Hello and welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 271. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and it's going to be a solo show as Valerie is swamped with work at the moment. But so you don't just hear my voice drone on and on, I thought I'd cover a bunch of audio questions that have been recently sent in. So on today's show, we're going to cover questions, uh, including how much does zinc oxide really affect SPF values? Is non-nano sunscreen really safer? Is it bad for skin if you try different products? And are there things left behind from rinsable hair care products? I know typically uh, I do a little chit-chat, but, you know, that's just a guy talking to himself, so I'm not going to do that today. But uh, there is a, I will combine features today because um, there was a significant beauty science news uh, and a combination of a recall. It turns out Johnson & Johnson said uh, last on Wednesday that it will be recalling five of its sunscreen products after they were found to contain levels of benzene. Now, if you recall from previous shows, uh, a, a lab, an independent lab had uh, went through and checked a bunch of different sunscreens, and some of the sunscreen brands that Johnson & Johnson's made uh, were found to have uh, detectable levels of benzene. And so Johnson & Johnson uh, went the uh, extra step of uh, being extra cautious, and they issued a recall for uh, a number of products from both their uh, Neutrogena uh, brand and their Aveeno brand. Um, and you can go to their websites to see exactly which ones, but... Uh, uh, let's see, four Neutrogena ones, the Beach Defense Aerosol Sunscreen, the Cool Dry Sport Aerosol Sunscreen, the Invisible Daily Defense Sunscreen, and the Ultra Share Aerosol Sunscreen. And uh, the one for Aveeno was the Aveeno Protect Refresh Aerosol Sunscreen. It looks like the thing that all of these had in common were that they were aerosols. Um, and so uh, now... They don't know exactly how any kind of benzene ended up in there. It's something, obviously, in the uh, contract manufacturer the, or the co-packer who packs these things for them. But uh, Johnson Johnson is uh, recalling them from the shelves, and they're encouraging people to contact J&J uh, to get refunds, I guess, uh, and get rid of the product. Now, I will say this is, from my view, being just an abundance of caution, and it probably uh, also has something to do with uh, J&J getting a lawsuit uh, put up against them for uh, this problem. And so this is probably to help, I don't know, look better in the, the legal eyes or something like that. <clears throat> so anyway, but as far as you're concerned, if you had a can of this stuff uh, from them, you know, do you want to get rid of it or do you, should you use it? 
Personally, I don't think there's any evidence that using it would be uh, detrimental to your health. The amount of benzene that you're going to be exposed to if you use this sunscreen is very low. And in fact, uh, according to uh, one report, uh, one biochemist opinion uh, on the subject, uh, the levels that you get in a uh, use of this product is lower than the levels you get in a typical day uh, living in the city. So we're talking about very low levels. Um, now, some people might be concerned about that. And if you are concerned, certainly uh, don't use the product, get your refund for your recalls. Uh, but I personally wouldn't have a problem using it, although I do prefer the creams, quite frankly, because, you know, I'm a little skeptical that those sunscreen sprays actually um, are doing the job. Uh, but, you know, mostly I just try to stay covered up and minimize my sunscreen use uh, to only exposed skin. Anyway, uh, that is going on. So if you are concerned about it, um, and, you know, if you're just following the news and you see benzene and cancer causing and it's in this product and then the company's recalling it, I could understand how you might come to the conclusion that there's something to be concerned about. I personally wouldn't be concerned about it, but if you are, uh, feel free to uh, stop using the products. All right, let's move on to some of the beauty questions that were sent in. Hey, Beauty Brains, this is Janelle from New Jersey, and my question is, what is the difference between nano and non-nano zinc sunscreen? I normally see it marketed that non-nano sunscreen is better and safer, but I'm not sure if that is baloney marketing or if there is some truth to that. Uh, let me know what you think. Now, to answer this question, it's helpful to know why zinc oxide is put in a formula anyway. So zinc oxide is a white powdery mineral found naturally on the Earth's crust. And in its most fundamental form, it is composed of one atom of zinc and one atom of oxygen. Now, in reality, you don't find just an atom of zinc and oxygen just bounded together out in nature. Instead, you find it in rocks or powders or other crystal forms. And these solids are made up of lots of zinc and oxygen atoms, all kind of bonded together in a crystalline structure. You know, it's similar in the way that sodium and chloride make salt crystals. Now, Suppose you find a big chunk of this zinc oxide. You can physically crush it down and turn it into these smaller pieces, little smaller grains. And this is helpful for making sunscreens because, you know, while the giant pieces of zinc oxide will actually block some UV, they aren't going to be too helpful if you try to put that on your skin. So we like to keep grinding it down until it's much smaller. And this is the particle size that people are talking about when they're talking about nano or non-nano uh, particles. So it turns out that the smaller you can make these particles, the better they're going to work for a sunscreen. All right, so what's all this nano and non-nano stuff? Well, it's helpful for scientists to classify particles by their size. Nanoparticles are just ones that are nano-sized. And specifically, nanoparticles are anything that is smaller than 100 nanometers. And I would say also bigger than, say, 0.1 nanometers, because if you get smaller than that, now you're starting to get into the size of just atoms. So these are actual particles, so they're multiple atoms. This makes them so small that they're too small for the human eye to actually see. 
Now, non-nanoparticles are ones that are bigger than that, but for a sunscreen, you know, you're talking about particles that are from like 100 to 2,500 nanometers in size. To give you an idea of that, the thickness of a piece of paper is about, say, 100,000 nanometers. Well, it turns out one of the problems with zinc oxide is that while it absorbs and to some extent reflects UV light, it also reflects visible light. And so when you put it on your skin, that is the reason that you get this white cast to it. And now, this is great for a makeup base if you want to coverage the color that's there, but it's not so great for, say, a sunscreen that you really want to be invisible. So enter the nanoparticle. You see, if you make the zinc oxide small enough that the eye can't see it, then that white hue will disappear and it'll become invisible. But it also is going to continue to work to prevent sunburn, so it's a win-win, right? Well, not so fast. Since there is a lot of technophobia or chemophobia in the world, marketers of sunscreens are just going to exploit that. The reality is that fear marketing is effective and that's why we have it in the beauty industry. So the concern is that nanoparticles size zinc oxide is actually so small that it's going to absorb into the body and there it's going to cause some sort of health problems. And the worry is also that you know, maybe these small particles are going to be so small that they're going to get out in the environment and they're going to cause problems to animals or to something like coral reefs. Now, if you look at scientific evidence, uh, as far as zinc oxide and safety and nanoparticles, um, the vast evidence uh, that we have available says that nano-sized particles of zinc oxide in sunscreens are perfectly safe to use. In fact, it doesn't even get into the body to a significant in, in effect. And its impact on the environment, it's, it's also uncertain, but whether it's nano-sized or not, has never really been shown to matter. But still, in both of these areas, the environment and in health, research uh, continues. And whenever there is uncertainty about a subject, you know, the fear mongers are going to step in and start scare you into buying their products. Interestingly enough, manufacturers do not really have nearly as much control over the size of the particles that uh, they can actually use. Now, while someone might claim to be making only non-nano-sized zinc oxide, it's highly unlikely that there isn't at least some nano-sized zinc oxide in there. You, the, you can't really, there's no real way to avoid getting nano-sized sunscreens, even if you're specifically just trying to make non-nano-sized particles. The best you can do is to control the average size of the particles. And there could easily be 10% or more nanoparticles of the zinc oxide in a product that is claiming to be non-nano-sized. But of course, you know, marketers are going to ignore that piece. It's a little technical detail. So anyway, that's nano versus non-nano. And really, your uh, suspicion is correct. It's Really, just more of a marketing gimmick and fear marketing at that matter. Nano-sized zinc oxide significantly reduces the white cast and allows you to use a lower percentage of zinc oxide in a formula. But, you know, if someone's afraid of nanoparticles, you know, they might stick with the non-nano brands. Although, just so you realize, any zinc oxide products are going to expose you to at least some small percentage of nano-sized zinc oxide, even if they claim... Uh, non-nano size. That, that's just the reality of manufacture. Hi, Valerie and Perry. My name is Abby. 
I live in Los Angeles where it's very sunny most of the year. And so wearing sunscreen every day is very important to me. I generally look for sunscreens that have zinc oxide as the filter because I struggle with melasma. And I found that those sunscreens are, do the best job of keeping my melasma under control, keeping me from turning red. And, and I just can, I actually don't mind the white cast because I can make sure that I've covered my face fully. Um, so that's, that's my preference. But I'm hoping you can explain a little bit about the chemistry behind sunscreens. I don't understand why a sunscreen with a low percentage of zinc oxide, say three or five percent, can have the same SPF rating as a sunscreen with 15 or 20 percent zinc oxide. I've heard other chemists say that it has something to do with the other ingredients in the formula that boost um, the filter's efficacy. But if you can explain a little bit more about that, like what are these other ingredients? How does it all work? And is it possible that those sunscreens with a higher zinc oxide percentage do have better coverage? Thank you. Well, thanks, Abby. This is a good follow-up to the last questions. All right, so we know that zinc oxide is a solid particle that can absorb, reflect, or otherwise block UV light from causing damage to the skin. And the smaller the size, the more surface area you get per particle. So generally, a smaller size particle will result in more UV protection. Now, I say generally because there are other factors in play, but this does demonstrate one way that the percentage of zinc oxide in a formula can have a different SPF value. So basically, if you have the same amount of zinc oxide, but one of the has a smaller particles, then it might actually have a higher SPF. So that would also mean you could actually have a lower percentage of zinc oxide, but if they are made up of smaller particle sized zinc oxide, you could actually get a higher SPF. So that's one case. Now, another thing that might affect the SPF values, in addition to the type and particle size of the zinc oxide, is the way that it's formulated. Uh, sunscreens work best when you put them on, a, on the skin in a nice, consistent film. Now, ideally, that film is invisible, so you still look good, but you don't want to have any kind of gaps there where the UV light might go get directly to the skin. And to do that, we put in film formers, uh, which hopefully will give you a nice, uh, continuous, long-lasting film. Uh, the, the film formers are, you know, long-chain polymers that uh, uh, have the ability to create these uh, long-lasting films. So the nature of that film, uh, how thick it is, how flexible it is, uh, and, and that sort of thing can all affect the SPF values outside of just the concentration of zinc oxide. So there is the, the type of film that you use and the type of... Uh, emulsion that you use and the way it spreads. Now, another thing beyond just the formula, zinc oxide works most effectively at a specific wavelength, right? So uh, for some UV radiation, it will uh, work better than for others. It's got like a maximum absorbance uh, uh, at, at some UV range. And then as the wavelengths get uh, longer or shorter, uh, it doesn't uh, absorb or reflect nearly as much. And so um, one of the things that we do is that we include other sunscreen actives like titanium dioxide or avobenzone, and that can actually increase the SPF value 
when you have a lower level of zinc oxide. So the zinc oxide and the titanium dioxide or the avobenzone, they work synergistically to give you a broader protection range, even though you have, say, less zinc oxide. So, you know, those are the kinds of other things that matter. But all things being equal, the SPF value of a product does depend on the percentage of zinc oxide. Basically, the more zinc oxide, the higher the SPF value. And in the United States, uh, the maximum zinc uh, that's allowed for sunscreens is 25%. But all things are not equal when you're trying to compare between different brands and uh, formulas of a sunscreen. So it shouldn't be completely surprising that you might see two brands with the same level of zinc oxide and they have different SPF values or uh, one has a lower amount of zinc oxide, but it has a higher SPF value. It's it's not just the concentration of zinc oxide that matters. Um, all this is to say is it's a little bit complicated, but I hope this helps to clear it up a little bit. So it uh, some of the factors include the particle size of the zinc oxide, the other sunscreen actives that are in there, and the type of film forming uh, formulation ingredients in the formulas that can all affect SPF values. Hey, Valerie and Perry, I've got two questions for you. First is about rinsable products like shampoo and body wash that sometimes leaves slippery feeling on hair and skin even when I try to rinse them out. Does that mean there's a trace ingredient that has uh, left on the skin? And what kind of ingredient should I watch out for that? Thank you. Thank you for those questions. Uh, first, let's talk about the rinsable product question. Um, indeed, you know, there really is a trace. Even if a shampoo is made to be rinsed out or a conditioner made to be rinsed out, there will be ingredients that are left behind. Now, some of those ingredients are meant to be left behind. So if you're creating a hair conditioner, you're going to want to leave behind say ingredients like the cationic surfactants like citronium chloride or sterile conium chloride anyway uh, those cationic surfactants we expect those to be left behind also expected to be left behind by a conditioner would be silicones like a dimethicone or a amodimethicone or uh, also cationic polymers like uh, hydroxypropyl trimonium guar or polyquaternium 10. so those things you kind of want them to be left behind especially from a conditioner although from a shampoo you also want those things to be left behind uh, another thing is some proteins now it's proteins are mostly rinsed away if you rinse if you kept rinsing uh, long enough uh, all of the hydrolyzed proteins that are put in products they will just be rinsed away but you know generally people don't rinse well enough and so those things are left behind so those are the kinds of things that are meant to be left behind, the, the moisturizing ingredients. Now, there are some materials that are left behind, but they aren't meant to be left behind, but it's because you haven't rinsed enough. So for uh, a hair conditioner, for example, something like cetyl alcohol, you could find traces of cetyl alcohol still on uh, your hair, just be, if you haven't rinsed it out well enough, or if there's not enough of the rinsing agents, uh, if, you, if you haven't rinsed the... Uh, enough of the excess cationic surfactant out of there that's supposed to help help in re removing materials so those from a conditioner standpoint there is that you know even you know the fragrance can be left behind in your hair if you, you when you smell it and you smell your conditioner on your hair that is molecules of the conditioner fragrance that have been left behind they haven't been rinsed out 
And as far as shampoos go, the detergent in the shampoo should be washed away. But I've seen evidence, uh, forensic evidence, really, that the you can actually look at a person's hair and kind of figure out what kind of shampoo they've been using over a longer period of time based on the ratio of, say, uh, SLS that's still in some of their uh, hair fiber. So while you theoretically could rinse out all of the shampoo ingredients, uh, people just don't really rinse long enough. So there is some detergent left behind and there's a little bit of probably everything left behind on your hair unless you're really uh, strict about rinsing, but most people aren't. So you know, it's okay that some of these trace things are left on your hair. They don't really have much impact. Um, and the things that we want to be left on the hair, they, they will have an impact and, uh, and it's good. And so that's why uh, those products are made. Uh, so I hope that helps answer the rinseability question. All right, we've got time for one more question. Hi, Beauty Brains. It's Jennifer from Boulder, Colorado, and I still love your show. Um, I also love to shop around and try different products, including face washes, toners, oils, creams, peel pads, everything. It's a big part of the fun. My question is, could this be bad for my skin if I'm not sticking to the same bunch of products? I don't want to confuse my skin, stress it out, or sacrifice efficacy because I enjoy trying new things. Is there a chance that I'm doing that? Also, I love the kittens. Well, thanks, Jennifer, for that question. Uh, and it's it's a really good question. The way products are marketed, you would get the sense that you are supposed to stick with one brand and stick with one product and train your skin on this. And that's all just marketing gobbledygook, if you ask me. The reality is you can just try any other product that you want to try for whatever reason. If you just like experimenting and you know, let's face it, part of the fun of beauty products is just experimenting with new things and see how you like it and the experience of it all. And your skin, it's its not going to negatively impact your skin. Now, I will add this caveat to that. One of the downsides of trying all bunch of different products is that now you're exposing yourself to more and more chemicals. And every time you expose yourself to a different chemical, uh, be it natural or synthetic, that doesn't matter. Anytime you're exposing yourself to a different chemical, you're increasing the chance that you might have some sort of, might discover some sort of allergic reaction to a material or uh, get some sort of irritation or something from a specific material. I, you know, I remember I was using. Uh, it was one of the old spice deodorants one time, the, the blue one, and I'm using it on my I started to get this rash under my armpits, which I never had from any other product. And, uh, you know, clearly there's something in that product that reacts with my skin. Uh, you know, it's a huge brand, so it's not everybody, but me in particular, I had a problem with that product. So, you know, I don't, I don't buy that product anymore. I don't use it anymore. Um, but you, I wouldn't have known that if, unless I was trying a whole bunch of different products. So that is one of the risks of trying a bunch of different products. But this whole idea of it's going to mess up your skin, you know, your skin, your growing skin doesn't know, uh, usually doesn't know what's going on at the epidermal level of your skin. Um, it, it might get sensed uh, that, you know, the environment's a little more dry and it's feeling drier. 
But as far as the specific uh, daily treatment that you're having on a on your on the outside layer of your skin, you know your skin doesn't really remember. There, if you stopped using skin products, your skin like completely overturns cells uh, within eight weeks, I believe. From you know the time it was comes out as a new stem cell in your dermis and then gets all the way to the top in your epidermis and then is exfoliated away, that's about uh, eight weeks. So in eight weeks, you know your skin is totally turned over. So uh, it's not going to remember what you did eight weeks ago. Again, feel free to try as many products as you like, and uh, we'll keep the kittens in. Well, thanks so much for listening, everyone. Valerie will be back next week. This is The Beauty Brains, and I am Perry Romanowski. The Beauty Brains are on Patreon, so if you want to support The Beauty Brains on Patreon and keep us commercial-free, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. And if you get a chance, can you go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review there, or Spotify if they have a review system there. That's going to help other people find the show and ensure we have a full docket of beauty questions. And if you have a question, you can just record it on your smartphone and email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. Also, you can follow us on our various social media accounts. Instagram, we're at thebeautybrains2018. On Twitter, we're at thebeautybrains. And we also have a Facebook page that occasionally I look at. Thanks again for listening. And remember, as Valerie and Randy before her say, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Cue the cats. Kittens! <laughs>